Hey, Heritage. As we prepare to launch Walking with Giants, I'm excited to see what God's going to do through this journey. And I once again want to thank Bill Hybels, the pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, for helping me put to words some of the things that have been stirring within me through the concepts that I'll be drawing today. I'm excited to see what God's going to do as we step into week one. So let's go ahead and do that now. Well, hey, Heritage, I want to welcome our Bendor family, those tuning in online, the men at Kiwani, everyone here at Rock Island as we start and launch our Walking with Giants series. This is going to be a great and impactful journey as we look at a few portraits of faith from the book of Hebrews, specifically chapter 11. Now, it's also going to be a good day. You know it because when you see four easels on the platform, you know it's going to be good. Just saying. Now, you may have also noticed that there's a a number of scriptures in your note guide, and I don't want the number of easels or the number of scriptures to worry you, because we're only talking about one thing today, and that is this, faith. We either have it or we don't. We can have an abundance or a lack of it. It can be strong or it can be weak. Most people, they talk and think about faith just as a belief, like believe in something or someone. Say, I believe in you, I have faith in you that you can do it. But when it comes to biblical faith, it's a bit more than that. Biblical faith is more than just a belief. In fact, it's in the book of Hebrews, the very beginning of, of chapter 11, that describes and defines faith this way. That faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And it was that kind of faith that the ancients were commended for. So the men and women that we're going to be looking at in this Walking with the Giants series were commended for that kind of faith. Now, we all have hoped for things along in our journey. We, we have things in our life that are unseen or not yet. In fact, even as a church family, in our nine bold moves, we've been walking through steps of faith in those realities. Our next bold move, the acquisition and repurposing of the former Kone building, that journey has been marked by clear steps of faith. And I just want to update you on where we're at. I've asked you to be praying as we finalize negotiations, and I want to tell you, we are days away. Days and details away from resolution. Now, I can't wait till I can tell you everything that's been going on. It's just, it's just bubbling up in me, but I can't get there yet. But I'll tell you when I know. We'll celebrate appropriately. But, but that next bold move is not the only thing that we've been moving by faith in. We've got, we have other bold moves we're moving by faith, and, and I believe we have a brief message from our Bettendorf family that speaks directly to that. Let's take a look at the screens. Hey, Pastor Sean and our Heritage family, Justin here at the Bettendorf campus. And I got to tell you, God is doing some really cool things here, but I want to share one thing that we're celebrating together today. So check this out. 
We got our cheers. Yeah. Yeah. Bendor family, we celebrate with you. I know you're stoked and pumped about it. Listen, our bold moves are marked by steps of faith. And, and those, that, that pursuit of stepping by faith is not passive. We, we know what it's like to hope for something. But biblical faith changes the dynamic from wishful thinking or vague desire to confidence in the complexity, certainty amidst the uncertainty. There, there's a confidence that's rooted not in us, but in the one in whom we place our trust and put our faith in. And so the inherent uncertainty that comes alongside and is present with faith, man, it, it's, it's essential. Because without it, if we, if we knew everything, if we could see everything, that's not faith. There's no place to put our trust. So walking by faith, as challenging as it may be, it is essential. Because without it, we cannot please God. In fact, that's your first feeling in your note guide today if you're tracking. Without faith, we cannot please God. We can't do it. Now, anytime you hear an absolute statement like that, we tend to say, is that really true? Because if it is true, it has significant implications. But listen, this is not my idea or, or just my opinion. This is a biblical fact. Because just a few verses after the definition of faith in Hebrews verse 6, we see these words. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. We cannot please God without faith. Now, I realize for some of you, you don't look at the Bible as a source of absolute truth. I understand that. But I want you to hang with us in this Walking with Giants conversation because the principles that we're unpacking are so true that if you're willing to apply them, they will radically change your life. Radically change your life. And I actually want to get to the first principle, the first key of looking at what these giants of faith, how they lived in, in the midst of the complexity with certainty. And, and so here's the first reality. Our, what, what we're called to do, if we're going to live by faith, is to stop doing what's wrong and do what is right. To stop doing what is wrong and do what is right. Now you may think, okay, that's, that's overly simplistic, Sean. <laughs> And maybe even seems a little bit harsh to just say, stop it. Just stop doing what's wrong. Stop it. But it's the first step in walking with the giants and in walking by faith. I think this might help for a moment. I want to show you a brief comedic sketch. And this involves a guy named Bob Newhart, who he's hilarious. And he's actually in this sketch playing a psychologist who's counseling a young woman who has a particular problem. Now, this person of Bob's playing as a psychologist has an unorthodox method of addressing challenges in people's lives. So this is from a few years ago, so it's not high definition, but it is high quality in its content. And I want you to sit back and take a look. Go. <laughs> Go. Well, tell Why? me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house 
anything boxy. So what what you're saying is you're uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes, yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm. Uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. You're there. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. So I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well, it's only been... It's only been three minutes, so that will be um, uh, three dollars. Well, I, I only have a five, so. Well, I, I don't, I don't make change. Listen, as funny as that sketch is, just telling somebody to stop it doesn't help anything. It's like addressing the symptom without getting to the problem. But fortunately, God gives better counsel than Bob Newhart. <laughs> And, and God speaks, and, and he speaks in Scripture, and he speaks through other people. And one of the people that God has spoken through is the prophet named Isaiah. And here's what Isaiah wrote and recorded in chapter 1, starting at verse 16. He said, stop doing wrong. Sound familiar? Stop it. Stop it. But, but he, he continues from there. And he says, learn to do right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, the orphan, and plead the case of the widow. Stop doing wrong and do what is right. For those of you that have been around the Heritage family for a while, you know that these examples of doing right and doing good are expressions of second gap realities. It's what we talk about when we talk about bridging the second gap. But one of the nuances in this passage is that our ability to live into that is rooted in our personal life. It's rooted in our ability of whether we're choosing to stop, do what's wrong, stop doing what's wrong and step into doing what's right. And the examples that Isaiah gives, they're just examples. They're not limited to these tasks of doing right and doing good. See, if we're going to walk and live by faith, we need to stop doing wrong and we need to do what's right. You may be thinking, of course, no da. But listen, that's often easier said than done which is why we're taking this time in this particular series to look at how the ancients of faith, those giants of faith, navigated uncertainty with certainty, navigated the complexities of life with confidence, by faith in how they functioned. And we're gonna spend time looking at a few of the secrets that allowed them to do that 
Not just to know what those secrets were, but because if we understand those, those secrets and how they did it, we can actually live in a very similar way. We can do the same thing. And the first secret to walking by faith is exactly what we're talking about. Where we stop doing what's wrong and we do what's right. We make a conscious choice to stop doing wrong and we step into doing what's right. That's not just compliance, that's faith. That's not about rules, that's about relationship. We cannot please God without faith. We saw a couple of weeks ago that, that faith without works is dead. James talks about that. And the reality is, if all we understand about, about faith is just that piece, that faith without works is dead, that's almost the equivalent of just hearing stop it. Because if we don't understand how to learn to do what's right, how to step into doing what's right, and how we are free to no longer do wrong, it's just like somebody saying stop it. So we're going to step into a conversation that will take us through our summer series where we're going to be looking at concepts around these heroes of faith. In fact, I want to briefly unpack four concepts. Now, some of you are thinking with four easels, briefly is out the window. <laughs> Hang with me. All I want to do today is introduce the concepts that we're going to revisit over the course of our series to specifically understand how we walk by faith. See, I am convinced that God wants his people to be the first people to reach across divides, people to reach across the gaps, first people. So when we encounter a second gap, those second gap opportunities to be the first people to reach, those opportunities occur whenever and wherever good is needed. And some of you who, who have served in the Heritage family, you have for years been faithful and steadfast in doing good. You have done acts of kindness. You have served faithfully. You have been committed to, to being a person who's lived committed to doing good in the name of Jesus. I absolutely love it, and I love being your pastor. But one of the things I understand about doing good is there's so many needs in the world, and we're continuing to do right and good. It can feel overwhelming. We can get exhausted if we don't understand how to maintain that, how we successfully navigate those demands. And, and one of the first realities is just how we manage our life, where we stop doing wrong and we do what's right. It's a life management reality. And I want to first introduce the first concept with you now. And you don't have a box on your note guide. You just go to your blank note section if you want to track with me on this. But if you just envision with me that this is a bucket and this bucket represents our lives. It represents the things that we put in our life, our, our attitude, our energy, our time, talent, treasure. And so what we put in actually defines the status of the bucket. And our bucket can be full. It can be any level. It can be half full. It can even be empty. And the status of our bucket is really an issue of how we manage our life. So if we are managing our life in a way where we're doing God-honoring things, we stop doing wrong, we're doing what's right, we're investing in prayer, we're investing in scripture reading, we're, we're taking and making the most of opportunities that God brings in front of us, in those spaces, we can actually have a full bucket. And if our bucket is full, then when God brings those moments to do good in front of us, we're prepared and ready to spill over into those moments to actually do good. When our bucket's full, it's not that hard to do good and do what's right when our bucket is full, when we're filled up. The problem is in life, when we go through life without having clear streams of refreshing, well, then our bucket can actually be at a different level. And if we're at half full and an opportunity to do good comes along, we're not as ready and positioned to do it. Maybe we've made some poor choices. We've got an unhealthy relationship. We haven't managed our life well, and so it's half. Even the reality is we all know what it feels like to get down and be empty where you got nothing. 
You know, I want to be really transparent with you. Last weekend, Beth and I were in Chicago, and, and, and it was late at night, and we were heading back to the train station, and it was past the time that most of the restaurants were open. So it, we, we were tired, we were hungry, and everything was pretty much closed. But by the time we got to the train station, there were a few options for food, all of which were kind of questionable in my book. But, but I was hungry, and so I started working my way, because there was a fast food chicken place, I started working my way to that location, and, and on my way there... I noticed a guy off to the side. He looked kind of disheveled. He appeared to be homeless. And he was clearly trying to get my attention. Now, you got to understand, I was tired. I was hungry. I had a lot on my mind. And in that particular moment, I asked myself this question. What is this going to cost me? Not just what's it going to cost me financially, but emotionally and, and, and time-wise and interrupting my plan and, and just the conversation and the inconvenience of it all. See, because I, I wasn't filled up in that particular moment, I looked at doing good as an inconvenience. And so I'm not proud of it, but the reality is I ignored him. I pretended I didn't hear him, and I walked right by. Well, I got up to the counter, and I ordered my three-piece chicken meal, and God started to work on me right then. But I started to explain why it, like, I didn't have to, because I wasn't even sure he was legit. Maybe he was just scamming me, or you know, I, I didn't have time, whatever. I started making excuses, pushing back on the Holy Spirit in that space, but I... As I walked through, got my food, I went back to my table and sat down, and Beth was getting food somewhere else. The Lord kept working on me, and it was clear that I had missed an opportunity. I even looked down at my, my three-piece chicken meal, and there was like seven pieces of chicken. It was like God had multiplied my chicken just to prove his point. And I, I clearly felt the conviction I had missed an opportunity to do good because I mismanaged my life to the point I wasn't filled up to spill out and over. So I picked up my biscuit and my, and my chicken, and I went to look for the guy, but he was gone. I missed it. And when we don't manage our life well, and we don't stay filled up by having streams of refreshing and replenishment, we look at good as an inconvenience. And then we quit doing good because we haven't managed our life well. That's one of the secrets of walking by faith. If, if we're going to honor God, if we're going to be a people of God who live out the whole gospel, we have to do that by faith. And it's not just the part of the gospel that benefits us. It's not just our rescue. It's not just our comfort in that space. It's actually much bigger than that. We talk about this concept as a second gap, and, and this is something we've looked at before. And if you're new to heritage, just hang with me and understand that the reality is that this is us. And when we step in relationship to God through Jesus, we're saved. But that's not the destination. Because as we're a saved individual, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live sent. Where we build bridges across gaps and divides to other people. So they can make their own choice to step across this bridge and this gap in relationship with God. This, this, is, this is true. This is... This is essential to living life in the fullness of Jesus. And as true as that is, the reality is if we're not addressing our thinking, if we're not addressing the dynamics and situations in our life that are keeping us from being filled to overflowing, if we don't have streams of refreshing pouring into that space, we're empty or we're not filled, then this feels like pressure and not purpose. But when we're filled, now we live into doing good and doing right. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith without works is dead. However, listen to me. If we're empty, if we're not filled up, then we're more ready, more inclined to look at doing good as pressure rather than the God-given purpose that it is. And then we don't do it. We say we can't. We, we say we won't or we literally can't because we've mismanaged our life. We're not in a place to step into those opportunities. Now, I realize we can't do everything but instead of asking the question, what's it going to cost us? We need to be asking the question, God, do you want, what do you want me to do in that space? And when we're filled up, now we're better positioned to actually live that way. 
If we're not filled up, we're tempted to quit, to quit doing good. Here's what Paul wrote about this in Galatians. He said, let us not become weary in doing good. And that's quite possible because there's a lot of need, a lot of opportunities to do good. Don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we don't give up, our walking with the giant's journey is going to position us to understand how we stay filled up, how we continue to do good in the name of Jesus, and how we walk by faith even when we can't see. So here's what I want to do. I actually want to step into the first conversation around our first hero. And if you got a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11 if you're not already there. And, and in this passage is a list of individuals who lived in that complexity of life with confidence. They had certainty amidst uncertainty. And we're looking to understand how. And the first person on that list is a guy named Abel. And Abel was the second son of Adam and Eve. Let's take a look at verse 4 in Hebrews 11 for what's said about him. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Now, you may be familiar with the story of Cain and Abel and, and Adam and Eve. You may be not. You understand that Abel was a shepherd and his brother, older brother Cain worked the ground. They both brought offerings to God, but, but God was only pleased with one. And it leads to the first recorded uh, documentation of domestic violence in Scripture. I want to jump to Genesis chapter 4 to just see a bit of this story. And you can go to your Bible or you can follow along up here or in your note guide. Adam made love to his wife Eve. Now, some of you are wondering, can you say that in church? Yes, absolutely, totally can. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now, later she gave birth to his brother Abel, which means it's like, it's like a year later or so or more, plus there's at least one other lovemaking moment, all right? But now they have two kids, Cain and Abel. Fast forward a bit more. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Those are, that's a fact. Those are statements. There's no ranking in value in those realities. We continue on. In the course of time, in the course of time, Cain brought some. He brought what? Some. Some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn. The whatborn? Firstborn. That's important. Some and firstborn are, firstborn are important. Firstborn of his, of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. This creates a problem. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, this may seem harsh, harsh to you, like God's being harsh, because wasn't Cain trying? No, he wasn't. Okay, so then this is an issue of God prefers animal offerings over plant offerings. No, that was not the case here. The reason Abel's offering was better, the reason it was more excellent, is because he offered it by faith. Cain did not do that. Cain did not bring first fruits, and he didn't bring the best, and he brought it in his own time. In the course of time, he brought some. He was not acting by faith. And as we saw in Hebrews 11, verse 6, it is impossible to please God without faith. Therefore, God was not pleased with what, what Cain was doing. But he was pleased with what Abel was doing because of how Abel did it. Like many things, this is ultimately a heart issue. It's about what we refuse to release to God, what we choose to keep to ourselves, and how that thing enslaves us. How that thing keeps us. Jesus himself talked about that when we sin, we become a slave to sin. That means whenever we do wrong... When we don't stop doing wrong, whenever we sin, we become a slave to sin. 
the beautiful, wonderful thing is that because of what Jesus did, we can be free. In Jesus, we are actually free to do what is right. In Jesus, we're free to do what is right. Jesus gives us the ability to live rightly, not to be a slave to sin, but to be someone who honors him and follows him. Here's how we know this. We can look in Romans chapter 6, where it says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. In Jesus, we are free to do what is right. And in a world with lots of needs, lots of opportunities to do what is right, it can be overwhelming, even discouraging, even feel out of reach to step into those realities. But when we surrender control to Jesus, we actually can. It's not out of reach. Jesus positions us to be free to do what's right. We just need to choose it. Now again, we can't do it all. But the thing is, not asking, what's this going to cost us? But asking, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the difference in the equation. And i got to tell you, to live a life that is empty is wrong. To, to live a life where we're offering second fruits or something in our own time rather than first fruits when God asks for it is wrong. Because, and it's, it's even hard for us to do it because it takes faith to offer the first and the best to him. But when we walk by faith, everything begins to change. And when we're empty, it's much harder to do that. It's much harder to engage the way he wants us to engage. So listen to this. Even though Cain didn't do what God asked him to do, and he became angry. And side note, anger is a really good indicator of a bucket problem in someone's life. Even though Cain didn't do what he asked and he was angry, there's a beautiful reality that God approaches Cain after this. He approaches him out of love, which again reminds me that no matter what we do, God loves us. He, he pursues us. No matter what you've done, he loves you. So he approaches Cain in verse 6. Here's what he says to him. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, not, will, you, will you not be accepted? I mean, he's saying, look, why are you upset, dude? Stop doing wrong, do what's right. You know if you do what's right, everything will be okay. But he goes on to say, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I love the imagery that God gives in this space through Scripture of, of that pouncing readiness to pounce reality of sin. Because when we don't stop doing wrong and we don't start doing right, sin is ready to pounce. Ready to trap us. Ready to stick, just trap us, not in freedom, but trap us as a slave to sin itself. If we don't stop doing wrong and step into doing what's right. Now, even though God gave this counsel to Cain, gave him an opportunity, he ignores it. If you know the rest of the story, he lures his brother out to a field, he attacks him, and he kills him. It's tragic. It, it, it has ripple for his descendants, all because Cain wouldn't stop doing wrong and wouldn't step into doing what's right. Which reminds me again that many of the problems you and I face is because we just don't do what's right. We keep doing what's wrong. We don't step into what's right. We either get frustrated, we get disappointed about circumstances and situations, we get empty in our life bucket, and we tend to back away from sacrifice. We tend to back away from reaching across gaps and divides. We, we, we tend to back away from faith in those spaces when we should be leaning in. And every time we back away, it creates more problems. It creates more problems in relationships with people. Anytime we choose personal self-gratification or pleasure without considering the long-term implications or the cost to other people, it creates problems. Whenever we choose only to bring scraps 
to God. We choose to bring them only when, he, only when we think it's fit. We, we get frustrated because, hey, God's not blessing me. We get mad about that, but we're not living and doing rightly in that space. We, we continue to do what's wrong or we don't step fully into doing what's right. When God asks us to step, we're supposed to step. When we don't, it p- creates a place in our life for sin to pounce and we're vulnerable to being enslaved to sin. So let me pose this question to you. What in your life is providing a place for sin to crouch? What in, what in your life is providing a place for sin to crouch? It could be a disappointment. Maybe there's a comparison between you and a sibling or, or you and somebody else at your workplace. Maybe there's a hurt. Often pain and hurt is a great place where sin just crouches and waits to pounce. Maybe your bucket's just empty. Where, where have you not been filling and therefore there's this vulnerability? Where do you need to start filling so that you're not vulnerable? Where do you need to stop doing what's wrong and start doing what's right? You know, the things of like, don't lie, don't cheat, don't take what's not yours. I mean, these are all basic things. We just need to choose to do them. The moment we choose not to stop wrong and not to step into right creates this space for sin ready to pounce pounce as it crouches and waits. And you know where you're vulnerable. And wherever that is, man, choose to do right. Jesus positions you to be free. Ask God to help you in that dynamic so that you can live fully into that. I realize that doing what's right sounds easy, but it actually rarely is easy to live into it. It, it, But it's the first step of living into a life that is marked by faith, the kind of faith of the ancients, the ones that they were commended for. It's also where we begin to subdue and master sin. When, when, when God's talking to Cain, it tells us there's a bit of control. We have a choice in the sin reality. We have a choice in some of this dynamic to choose and step into right because Jesus sets us free. We just need to be able to do it. Can you imagine what would have happened if Cain, in verse 6, would have just responded to God by saying, help me, Lord, I need it. Help me do what's right. Everything would have changed. But he didn't. He didn't live by faith. Abel did. Abel lived by faith. He said, Lord, I believe you. I worship you. I bring you what you want. I will remain faithful to you. And God rewarded him for it. He rewarded him. Not not with long life, but with God himself. Think about this for a moment. We go back to that Hebrews 11 verse 6 passage. It says, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Galatians 6.9 says we reap a harvest. We don't quit. We don't give up. Reward and harvest. I don't, I don't know exactly what those will be for you. I'll tell you it's not necessarily cash from heaven. It's not necessarily do one good thing, get one good thing. And it's certainly not protection and limitation of hardship in your life. Abel. Abel was faithful. God granted him favor. God was pleased. But that did not preclude hardship in Abel's life, did it? Didn't preclude difficulty in relationship with his brother. But what it did provide was favor. So in this dynamic, where and what in your life is providing a place for sin to crouch because you're not stopping what's wrong and you're not stepping into doing what's right. When, when you do that, God grants over time his favor. He grants capacity. And then we begin to live more like Abel, those of the great ancients of faith. And, and we are rewarded in our life and, and we have relationship with God. When we step away from wrong, When we continue to do wrong, we end up empty. And we're proclaiming that we don't believe God or trust his promises. And that's ultimately not faith. Ultimately not faith. Look, in this journey of walking with the giants, I want to walk through these moments 
so that you're inspired to live the same way. When we hear about stories of people who did something extraordinary, exceptional, it can feel overwhelming. Like, man, I can't live that way. I don't want to do that. Listen, I don't want to overwhelm you or pressure you. I want you to be inspired by understanding how they were able to sit in the uncertainty with certainty. They were able to live in the complexity of life with confidence. And one of the first ways that they were able to do that as men and women of God were to be intentional in streams of replenishment, streams of filling, so that they could be filled up to overflow. And one of the realities for you today is to question and ask, am I filled up? How am I filling myself up? How am I being replenished? Because if I'm not, I'm slowly becoming empty. And we're empty, we look at good as an inconvenience. I want to share with you three other concepts. You don't have to take in all this information because this is just a peek, and we're going to revisit all this stuff in the rest of our series. But I want you to think with me, when it comes to this idea of doing good, think in terms of a swimming pool. This is a pool. This is the diving board. We put some deck chairs out here. This is an ideal setting just to relax and enjoy if you're looking at a pool. You can put some, even put some water in this space to make it look even cooler. There we go. Water in the pool. Listen, when we step into relationship with God, we choose to believe in Jesus, to have relationship with God. We're almost like stepping on this diving board and we're taking a step and leap of faith into the water, into life and relationship with God, into his purposes, into what he's trying to do in this world. And when we do that, that's a bold move. But listen, bold moves always encounter opposition. Always encounter opposition. And many people, when they make that step and jump into there, they begin to feel the pressure and push and pull of being in this dynamic, and they get weary. And then they eyeball the deck chairs, and then they go, you know what, I'm done doing good. (laughs) I'm out. And they make a beeline for the deck chair. And now they're hanging out on the side. But nobody wins when when you're in a deck chair. There is no thrill. There is no glory for God. There is no filling in a deck chair. You need to get back in the pool. And some of you have jumped into doing good in your journey with God, and it didn't go well at first. You tried to do it in your neighborhood. You tried to do it at your workplace. It just didn't quite go well. But listen, it rarely goes well the first time. It doesn't always go well every time. But instead of exiting the pool and sitting on the sideline where there is no good, it's bad. It's bad for your skin to sit out here. (laughs) Get back in the pool. Go somewhere else. Try it somewhere else. Go to a different part of the pool. Try to do good in another place. Talk with the Lord. As you're filled up, now you understand you can hear from him. Go to a different place. I don't care if you end up underneath the diving board itself. Just stay in the pool. Keep doing good. Don't quit. Now listen, I understand, even as I say this, the reality is when we talk about second gap and we talk about living sent and we talk about seeking to give more than we take and and we talk about those realities for some of you that again it starts to feel like pressure because you're not filled up or because you tried to do good and it didn't work out to say those things each of those start to feel like just things on your shoulders burdens that you have to carry to hear like i gotta i gotta keep doing good i I gotta make space and 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 we ask the question what's it going to cost me and then we miss these opportunities If if this is your perspective, this is a dangerous perspective. Because if you look at this from that perspective, it's only a matter of time before you bail. It's only a matter of time before you exit the pool and sit on the deck. It's only a matter of time before you leave Heritage thinking that, you know what, it's more simple and easier at some other church. And that may very well be. But if we're going to live sent and not just saved, it's going to infringe on our comfort. It's going to challenge that. But if this is your perspective, that it's about the need to ultimately carry a burden, it's only a matter of time before you bail. 
you will quit doing good because you have a wrong perspective. It's the wrong model. This is not about a need to carry, but about a need to care. And that's an issue of the heart. And when we step into a place where we have streams of refreshing, and we're in relationship with God, and we're worshiping him, we're bringing him the offering that he wants, and we stay in the pool and we're doing good, in those spaces, God begins to enlarge the capacity of our heart. And we no longer ask the question, what is this going to cost me? But we begin to ask God to expand the capacity of our heart. Saying, Lord, what do you want me to do in this space? Give me the capacity of heart that you have. Help me to love like you love. Help me to see this circumstance the way you do. What do you want me to do, God? Give me the capacity to love the way you want me to love. It's an issue of needing to care, not an issue of needing to carry. And the fundamental reality in this whole conversation is that when we live with streams of replenishment and we stay filled up and we stay in the pool willing to do good even in the complexity of it and we understand that it's not about a need to carry but about a need to care well now we walk with giants and we experience the favor of God you know I I don't know what part of this conversation you needed to hear today or what the Holy Spirit's saying to you even now Maybe even what you need to stop. But I want to take a few moments to create a space for us to be filled up, to stay in the pool do good, to, to really ask God to enlarge the capacity of our heart. Because we're going to spend the rest of our summer walking through these concepts as we walk with giants in this series. And we'll unpack these things a bit more along the way. But before we do that, I actually want to turn things over to campus hosts around our network. Because there are, there are things in our church life that are unseen and not yet. Even in our individual lives. And I want to create a space and an opportunity for us to be filled up. For God to enlarge our capacity in our, in our hearts. And to just create a space to pray. So I want to invite campus hosts across our network to come even now and help facilitate that with you in your location.